You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of John. Here's Nate. In John chapter 15, we have one of the most beautiful passages, I think, in all of God's Word. Here Jesus stops with his disciples and speaks to them of the abiding life. You know, as you read the book of Genesis at the very beginning, you discover that man was created to have wonderful depth and relationship and fellowship with God. And that was broken, of course, at the fall of man. That fellowship and relationship was more than strained. It was broken. There was enmity between God and man. But by grace, through faith, and by the blood of Jesus Christ, there is a possibility for that relationship to be restored. And here in John chapter 15, Jesus begins to speak to his disciples concerning the abiding relationship uh, in him and how by connecting directly to Jesus and being in constant fellowship with him, there would be a fruitfulness that would come from their lives. And so here's the question as you start John chapter 15. The question is, do you want to be a fruitful person? Would you love to have every relationship in your life benefited uh, by, you know, just interaction with you? Would you love to leave a positive imprint upon this world? Would you love to see the negative parts of your nature and character weeded out of you? And would you love to see the life of Christ more present and real within you? Would you love for people to see more of Jesus and less of you? Well, all of this is accomplished not by might and not by power, but by the Spirit of God as we abide in Christ Jesus and experience him in a personal depth of relationship. So make no mistake here in this text, Jesus is not teaching his disciples on a way to be saved. No, he's teaching them on a path to fruitfulness, which of course these men would need and and of course these men would realize and we today, almost 2,000 years later, are a testament to their fruitfulness because the gospel has reached down from generation to generation and it started upon their lips. And so great fruitfulness. And how does this fruitfulness come? Well, Jesus gives an, an allegory, a word picture, if you will, when he says in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, this is the seventh and final great I am statement of Christ, of course, which connects us to the Old Testament when God announced his name to Moses as the I am. And so Jesus here for the seventh time refers to himself as the I am and says, I am the true vine. Now, for these Jewish disciples, had they had much exposure to the Old Testament at all, they would have known that in the Old Testament days, God had spoken of at numerous moments and times the nation of Israel as a vineyard or as a vine. And 
Probably the greatest place that he does this is in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. And in that passage, God rebukes the nation of Israel. He explains to them that he had set them up for produce and fruitfulness as a vineyard and had done everything he could to get, get all the stones out of the way and the soil prepared and a, a, a tower in the midst and every, every condition had been met for them to be a fruitful people impacting the nations around them. And of course, they had pockets of this in their history. But by and large, they were uh, bearing what God called wild fruit in Isaiah chapter 5. And so perhaps the disciples, when they hear Jesus announce, I am the true vine, perhaps their minds would have raced back into the Old Testament era. And there would have been a sense in which Jesus is saying, listen, the fruitfulness that I desired through the nation of Israel uh, was not fully realized. And I do believe that one day it will be realized at a time yet future. But Jesus looks at these disciples and is announcing something new and fresh and wonderful. And he says, I am the true vine. In other words, he's the real deal in which fruit will be uh, realized and from which fruit will come. And then he talks of the father. He says, and my father is the vine dresser. The father is involved. You know, uh, reaching us, ministering to us, shaping us, speaking to us. And in verse 2, Jesus tells us that there are two distinct things that the Father does in his role as vine dresser in this analogy. Every branch, verse 2, in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, one of the unfortunate things about the way we often wrestle with John chapter 15 is that as Jesus is introducing this beautiful picture, one of the first things out of his mouth is verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, the father, takes away. And we immediately plunge headlong into a debate about who these people are that bear no fruit in our taken away and when this taking away is going to occur. I, for one, don't believe that Jesus here in this section is speaking about some version of lost salvation. That would seem highly contradictory to the entirety of the Gospel of John. Jesus said in John 6 verse 37 to 39 that all the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He said in John chapter 10, as he talked about himself as the good shepherd, he said, I give them eternal life in verse 28. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them, these sheep, to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. It seems that, you know, John has very strongly positioned us in a place up, up to this point in, in his gospel where we are confident that when we receive salvation, we receive salvation. 
So I have a hard time thinking that Jesus is actually referring in verse 2 to the removal of salvation. Perhaps he's speaking of those who seem to be believers, but were false believers. And at the end of the age, they will be dealt with by the Father. Maybe he's referring to Israelites who received Christ, but uh, not sincerely. And once they came to terms with who he really was, not just a miracle worker, but the Messiah himself, they rejected him and his message. So, you know, the focus here, however, from Jesus is not on who these people are, but is on fruitlessness and the willingness of the Father to deal with a fruitless life and that the Father himself is looking for fruit, that he takes away those that are not bearing fruit. And as we progress in this text, we're going to see that the Father is looking for fruit, more fruit, and in conclusion, much fruit fruit. We'll see that progression develop throughout Jesus's uh, illustration. But he says also in verse 2 that uh, he prunes the branches that do bear fruit that they may bear more fruit. Now this is wonderful because, you know, the vine is a branch that must be pruned. Everything unnecessary must be cut down so that the focus is all and entirely upon fruit bearing. And the beauty of this is that the Father knows something very special. He knows that less of me equals and, and, and signifies more fruit will be born. In other words, you know, if the sap has less length or a shorter length to travel and all of that, then there will be more, you know, sap delivered for the specific purpose of bearing fruit. And I've discovered that in my life, less of me plus more of Christ equals an increase in fruit. As John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And so Jesus is just simply introducing here the role of the Father in you know, at times cutting us back and pruning us so that we can bear more fruit. Now, I think probably we think of this most often in the case of trials that we go through, as Peter said, fiery trials, which purify and test the genuineness of our faith. And that we will go through situations and difficulties that will prune us and purify us. And that, of course, is is true. The Lord will allow us to endure difficulties. And, 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 you know, in one sense, this is our only opportunity. A very small little portion of our very long and eternal life, if we're in Christ, is dedicated to this little time here on earth where we have an opportunity to walk by faith and not by sight, an opportunity to suffer a little bit, to endure hardship, and to be faithful. And a day is coming where that hardship will be removed. And so sometimes the pruning takes place, the cutting back takes place through trial and difficulty. But verse 3 gives us a hint at to one of the main instruments the Lord loves to use. Already, Jesus said, you, to his disciples, are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. One of the greatest tools that the Lord uses to prune us, to cut us back, is, is his word. 
the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It divides down to the, 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 the joints and the bones and the marrow. It, 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 it divides us and can cut down deep into the heart and into the soul of us. And this is the power of his word. And not just his word in the sense of the public proclamation of his word, which of course he has deemed to be a powerful event. That when the word of God is proclaimed, faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. And so, you know, the public proclamation does prune us and deal with us. It is a hammer. It is a sword. It is a fire. However, uh, his word is also used in a very specific way in our own hearts as he just simply speaks to us and cuts off and prunes things that must be dealt with within our lives. Recently, I was reading through the life of Solomon in Chronicles, and I came across the moment where Solomon offered great sacrifices to the Lord. And the Lord came to him to ask him, uh, what he would wish for and all of that. But before that event took place, David came to his son and explained to him what was going to happen and what he was going to need to build. And he exhorted his son to make sure that he was not a fearful person, to make sure that he was not dismayed within his heart. He said in First Chronicles 28, Verse 20, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God, even my God, is with you. And, you know, recently I was reading that and the Lord just in the way he does, like a loving father, drew my attention to that word dismayed and opened up my heart to see that so often I am a dismayed individual and that feeling of failure and desperation can creep into my heart. And the father, like a vine dresser, pointed out that word and showed me what it meant. A shattered thing. And he pulled it out and said, I want to cut out this dismayed spirit from within you. It's going to hurt a little bit, but I'm going to deal with that uh, pessimistic doomsday feeling that's within you, Nate. And just the wonderful ministry of, of God as my father in cleansing me with his word. He loves to speak to our hearts. Now in verse 4, Jesus begins to exhort his disciples. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now here, Jesus explains to his disciples the simplicity of what he's proposing to them. In a moment, we're going to read this wonderful list of fruitfulness that would come from their lives and can come from our lives if we are willing to abide in Jesus. But here he just tells them, listen, here's where you fit into this analogy. You are the branches. Now, no one, no one, no one uh, glorifies and praises the branches. All the branches do is simply hang out and stay in a certain place. And 
you know, in nature, obviously, there's no choice from the branch. It's just there. It's a part of nature. But here with us, there's a decision. That's why Jesus said in verse 4, abide in me and, and, and I in you. In other words, as, as you abide in me, which the word abide means to stay in a particular place or station, to remain, to reside, to continue, to exist in a place. As we exist in Christ, as we fellowship with Christ, as we reside with Christ, as we remain, you know, in him and in our relationship with him. I've defined it this way, to remain in constant life receiving relationship with Jesus Christ for the purpose of bearing more fruit and much fruit, which glorifies the Father and blesses others. As I remain in that constant life-receiving relationship with Jesus Christ, as I just hang out in that place where the nutrients are received, in His Word and in prayer, as I'm abiding in Him, Jesus says it's an amazing thing. You can bear no fruit without me, but if you abide in me, I will abide in you. My life, so to speak, the source is going to come pumping into you. And you're going to receive my life as you spend time in and with me. If you've listened to me teach for any length of time at all, you know that one of my favorite passages in all of God's word is 2 Corinthians 3. And, and at the conclusion of that argument, about the new covenant, Paul crescendos with 2 Corinthians 3.18, where he says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, that's Jesus, are being transformed in the, to, into the same image. We're being transformed to be like Christ from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. So as we spend time in him and abiding in him, we have the joy of bearing fruit and becoming like Jesus. His life poured out into our lives. And so Jesus goes on and, and talks about two results then in verse 6 and following. He says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And so once again, you come across this fruitful life it is dealt with. And for whatever reason, this person did not abide. And so because they did not abide, they did not bear fruit. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this is glorious because what this tells us is that the abiding life is a life of wonderful prayer. As the sap of Christ is pumping into us in that unceasing way, we, you know, receive his will in, within our hearts and we begin to cry out to God. You know, in the plant world, you have total dependence upon the vine from the branch, but it's a passive abiding. Here for the believer, it's active. We pray, we cry out to God. This is the nobility of man and we bear wonderful fruit. He says there that whatever you ask, whatever you wish, it will be done for you. So, you know, one way to rob this whole text of its power is to limit this promise to ourselves and our needs. No, when we're abiding in Christ, his priorities become our priorities. His mindset becomes our mindset. 
we'll endure even physical hardship if it's the heart of Christ for us for that season or moment or for the entirety of our human existence. We will go through it if it is the heart and will of Christ. So it's beyond just our own personal wishes and desires. It's that as we abide in him, the wish of Christ becomes the wish of our hearts. And once that occurs, oh, you can ask and ask away and the Father will move. And you'll see an answer to prayer that is absolutely powerful. This is part of the fruitfulness of that abiding relationship. He says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Notice the much. We've seen fruit, more fruit, and now lastly, verse 8, much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Who gets the glory from this abiding relationship where fruit is born from our lives? Well, the answer is simple. The Father gets the glory. The Father gets the glory for all of our fruitfulness because as we are fruitful, uh, it will become obvious that these things were only done in the strength that God supplies. It's not that we're adding to his glory or bringing him new glory, but his glory will be shining through us and he gets all the glory for our fruit. As Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, whoever speaks, speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so the Father gets all of the glory because, well, we were able to do it by the strength which he supplied. Now, in verse 9, we move on and really from the vine analogy into a relationship of love and specifically telling us what we are abiding in as the father verse 9 has loved me so i have loved you abide in my love you know the reality is that what we're truly abiding in as we abide in christ is the love of christ the first thing that Jesus does here is that he defines what that love looks like. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. You think about the love of the Father for the Son. It is perfect. It is pure. It is absolutely crushing in nature. It is overwhelming, the love of the Father for the Son. The triune Godhead has dwelt in perfect harmony and gladness and joy for all of eternity. So when Jesus says that I have loved you with the same kind of love the Father has had for me, you know that this is a powerful kind of love. So powerful that if we truly abide in it, it is a game changer within our hearts and within our lives. And so Jesus then exhorts us. After defining what this love looks like, he says, abide in my love. Abide in my love. You've got to actually live and make your home in the love of Christ. It can't be some theory that is past tense, some, you know, belief or doctrine that you have written down or memorized. It has to be something you're actually living in, something you're actually experiencing, something that's actually a part of your everyday experience and life. 
And so, you know, I've discovered for me, I just have to give the Lord time. I have to trust him. I have to, like a child, receive by faith this love as he longs to give it to me. And so abide in my love. Now, as we do, Jesus then describes various forms of fruit that will come. And you tell me whether you would love to have these in your life or not. Verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, of course, Jesus didn't come and do the commandments of God and for the very first time earn the love of the father. No, he came under the position and in the position of being loved by the father. But as he obeyed, he was approved by God. Uh, the father would say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So when we read that if we keep his commandments, we'll abide in his love. What we're seeing here is that we're in the position of his love as his disciples. But as we walk with him and obey him and keep his commandments, we will practically receive and be beneficiaries of the love of God upon our lives. We will pra practically experience his love upon us. It is a joyful place to obey the Lord. This is one of the fruits of abiding in his love, is obedience to his commands. There's power to obey. Verse 11, he goes on and says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now this is reminiscent of first john chapter one where john writes about fellowship with god that leads to joy in the fourth verse but here jesus is saying listen as you abide in my love and obey me there's going to be this great joy that comes from your life and not just a joy but jesus says verse 11 my joy that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be fulfilled to the brim. Then he boils down the commandment a little further and says, this is my commandment, singular, that you love one another as I have loved you. Another fruit that comes out of our relationship with the Lord and abiding in him is love. Love, love, love. This is a Christian trademark, that agape love, even as Christ has loved us, laying down our lives for the body of Christ. Don't think of fruit as some grandiose ministry or thing you're going to accomplish. Think and dream of a day where love is flowing from your life. Greater love, verse 13, has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus, as an expression of his friendship, laid down his life for us. A way for us to express our friendship to him is to do what he commands us. Think of that statement. You're my friends if you do what I command you. I would venture to say that only one person in the history of the world, Jesus Christ, could make that claim at all times. If you're my, you're my friends, if you do what I command you. <laughs> you know, who would say that? But only Christ can say it with full authority. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. So Jesus tells him, listen, the day of me referring to you as a servant 
is gone. Now, we would call ourselves bond servants of Christ, but here he looks at these men and says, you are my friends. And the reason that they were friends is because Jesus had revealed himself to them, revealed all that the Father uh, had uh, revealed to him. And so he just says, listen, I've opened myself to you. You did not, verse 16, choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We have, as part of our abiding relationship in him, we've been sent, called, chosen to bear fruit by God. These things I command you, Jesus said in verse 17, so that you will love one another. The greatest fruit, love, reiterated once again. Abide in Christ and allow him to abide in you and you will bear much fruit. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.